We are working our way through the book of Luke. We are in chapter 11, and uh, we will eventually, by the way, we'll, we'll make it. We'll, we'll get through this prayer, uh, but we want to be able to pray with power. We want to be able to beseech God in a way that God is going to answer with great power. We want to pray with assurance. We want to pray with confidence. We want to pray like God wants us to pray. If we don't understand this prayer, if we don't understand what Jesus is communicating here and what he's trying to help us see as a structure and a framework and the skeleton of what prayer looks like, then our prayers, um, they're going to kind of wander around and we're going to be uncertain and and. Jesus has left for us how to go about praying. His disciples come to him. In fact, let, let me read the passage here. It's, this prayer is very familiar to us, but it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, okay, when you pray, this is what this should look like. Now, By the way, we know, particularly from the Matthew account, uh, the Sermon on the Mount account, where he says, don't pray repetitious prayers like the heathens do, who think that they will be heard for their much speaking. Memorizing this prayer and praying it five times a day, and then if you really want to be religious, pray it ten times a day, and if you really want to be religious, pray it 50 times a day. That, that, That is completely against the spirit of this prayer. This is a structure. This is an outline. This is how to go about praying in a way that God wants us to. So, this is how you pray. Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is laying out for us here, these are the big points. These are the major things. If you want to, get a three-by-five card and write this prayer on it. And as you pray, make sure that you cover each one of these events. Make sure that, that your prayers include these kinds of things. And pray them because you know God is going to hear that prayer. So pray. Pray like God is going to hear it. And today, this morning, we're going to talk about the phrase, Thy kingdom come. Now, When we look at the phrase, thy kingdom come, I think uh, if you memorize this prayer, and I can't imagine that everyone in this place couldn't say it right along with me, particularly the Matthew version of this prayer, I, I think we could just quote it. But I also think that the phrase, thy kingdom come, is one of those phrases that I think we tend to just kind of skip over it. Or, or when we look at it, we think, well, okay, depending on your view of eschatology, you know, your view of how you think this is all, the world's all going to come to an end, you kind of look at this and you think, well, this is God's kingdom, right? I mean, this is God's kingdom. I mean, if God wants to bring his kingdom, I, I mean, I'll be glad to pray that, of course, but, you know, it is God's kingdom, right? I mean, he's going to bring it one way or the other, whether I pray this or not. So, I mean, okay, I mean, it's in there. Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come. So, all right, well, pray that God's kingdom comes, whenever he gets around to doing that, I, okay. Is that really what Jesus is saying in this prayer? Uh, By the way, I clearly don't think so. 
but I think we can fall into that. We can just kind of look at it. If you're thinking that, you know, this is the millennium, perhaps, which personally is, I think, the kingdom ultimately will arrive as the millennium. I think there is a literal millennium. I think Jesus is going to stand in the Mount of Olives. It's going to split. I think he's going to rule from Jerusalem, sitting on a literal throne. I think that's going to happen. And I think included in this prayer of thy kingdom come is, there's, that concept is included in that. But I don't think that's primarily what he's talking about here. The fact is that the kingdom and the concept, the kingdom concept, uh, this permeates the ministry of Jesus. The, the idea that the kingdom of God is going to arrive, this, and, and Matthew, by the way, Matthew will use the term kingdom of heaven. Those terms are interchangeable. Uh, Matthew is addressing a Jewish audience. If you know anyone who is Jewish, even to this day, the Orthodox Jews are very hesitant to actually speak the name of God. Uh, they, if, if you read something written by an Orthodox Jew, they will, they will spell the name of God, G underline D. They, they won't even write the actual name of God. They're very, they're very hesitant about that. So Matthew simply uses the term kingdom of heaven. It's synonymous with the kingdom of God. The fact is the nation of Israel is waiting for their king. They're waiting for the kingdom to arrive. And so when John shows up and John preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, um, they should have gone, oh, in fact, many people did, of course. They came down to John. They get baptized in the Jordan. Jesus comes and gets baptized in the Jordan. And what does Jesus go out and preach? And we've seen this already in Luke 4. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He says it to the, a particular town that's like, well, please stay with us. He's like, no, I've, I've got to go on to other towns because I was sent for this purpose, to present the kingdom of God. He says in Luke chapter 8, he goes through all of the various towns and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He sends the 12 out to preach what? The coming kingdom of God. Go out there and proclaim that the kingdom is coming. When you go to whatever town it is, he sends the 70 out. Whatever town you go into, go there. And when you get there, preach what? Say to them, the kingdom of God is near you. And of course, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and say to them, know this, the kingdom of God was near. The kingdom was right here. An Old Testament, the Old Testament concept of God as king is clearly present, right? It's, it's back there. Isaiah will say in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees God, Remember that vision. He, he ends up in heaven and he says, Woe is me for I am undone or I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I have seen the king. He'll go on and say in Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord, the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. There's no God besides me. The idea that God is a king is throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah will go on in Psalm 52. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who announce peace and bring good news of happiness, who announce salvation and say to Zion, your God reigns. God reigns as the king. Jeremiah says the same thing. 
Uh, the Psalms will say, you know, the Lord reigns. Uh, great is our God and our great king. So the nation is waiting. They're waiting for their Messiah to show up. They're waiting for their king to arrive. Of course, in their mind, he is a political king. They only see a physical kingdom. That's what they're looking for. And so they're looking for this physical kingdom. And when Jesus shows up, well, okay, they recognize that you have the ability to rally the people. The, the religious leadership looks at Jesus and he's got huge crowds. They hang on every word he says. I mean, they eventually get to the place where like, you know, if we don't do something about this, everyone is going to follow after this guy. Their problem is, they're looking at him and they're thinking, okay, if this guy decides that he's going to lead us in a rebellion against Rome, it's going to be a disaster. This is not a guy. It's clear. He has no intentions of actually getting an army together and attacking the Romans. We need to get rid of this guy. We need to get rid of this guy before the Romans wake up to what's going on here, accuse us of sedition, and, and they come and destroy us all. Before that happens, we need to destroy him because, I mean, we're looking for a king. He's not it. He, he's not it. He's not the guy we're looking for. The Messiah is supposed to show up, defeat the Romans. I mean, he's got power. I mean, we don't deny the miracles, but he's, he's not using any of those miracles to, to go after the In fact, he's not saying anything bad about the Romans. All of his message is directed at us, the religious leaders. I mean, when the, if the kingdom of God is going to come, God is going to arrive down here, and the first thing he's going to do is he's going to put us in charge. I mean, we're the priests, we're the Pharisees, we're the Sadducees, we're, we're the guys in charge of the temple. I mean, and, and let's be clear here, the last thing any of us need to do is repent. We don't have anything to repent for. Yeah, okay. Uh... What's the first thing that John is down there at the Jordan saying to the Pharisees when they arrive? You bunch of snakes and vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus, of course, carries on that exact same message. He says to them, they are the problem. And part of their problem, of course, is... Their idea that you're going to get this political Messiah who's going to show up and he's going to create a kingdom, literal, on earth, which is going to defeat whatever power comes in the way of Israel, if not ruling the world, at least ruling themselves. So they come to Jesus and, sorry to steal sermons from the future, but don't worry, well, it'll be years before we get to Luke 17 Hopefully not that long. But Luke 17, he's asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom is going to come. Luke 17, 20. Jesus replies. I mean, they specifically ask. All right, so when is the kingdom going to come? And he says to them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is already in your midst. Now, you're looking for the kingdom to be here or there or where's the throne or where's the armies or what? So they say to him, where is the kingdom? He's like, the kingdom is already in your midst. 
had they only repented, had they only looked to Jesus, had they only declared Jesus to be their king, they would in fact have seen the kingdom which they were hoping would show up. The problem is because they refused to repent, because they refused to change their heart, because they are completely unprepared for the genuine kingdom of God, they're going to proceed to kill God's son when he shows up. Jesus shows up and reverses the curse. I mean, he defeats demons. He defeats illness. He calms the seas. Jesus takes the curse that has fallen on mankind, and everywhere he goes, he undoes the curse. And he stands up and preaches that what you need is a new heart. You don't need to try to do the legalism of the law even better. You need a new heart. You need to not simply don't hate your neighbor. You need to love your neighbor. You need to be transformed from the inside out. It's interesting. People think they want to go to heaven, right? Okay, well, do you love the Bible? Do you love God telling you what is right and what is wrong? Do you love God being your Lord and your King? Do you love church? Do you love getting together with the people of God? Do you love singing? Because if you don't love any of that stuff, you're going to hate heaven. You're going to get there and you're not going to fit at all. Because everyone in heaven, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to love God and say, what can we do to serve you? What can we do to do your will? Jesus tries to explain to the religious leaders, okay, let's get here. The owner of the vineyard goes off for a long journey. And he goes back to collect some of the goods from his vineyard from the people who have rented it. And so he sends his servants to go and to collect. And instead of giving them anything, they beat them. Some of them they kill. And of course, eventually he sends his son saying they will respect my son. But instead of respecting him, they say, well, this is the heir. Let's kill him and we'll own the vineyard, which is an insane thing to think. But nonetheless, Jesus' point is to them that, look, the kingdom of God, which you claim to want to arrive. Let me just inform you here that if, in fact, the kingdom of God were to arrive like you'd like it to, The first people to be taken out are you. Because God doesn't rule in your heart. You are in rebellion to the true king of heaven. He has sent his son. And he is here talking to you about how you need a transformed heart. And how you need to repent. And how you need to be a different person. And love your neighbor. And you don't want to hear any of it. In fact, you're going to end up killing him. So the kingdom, in order to be a genuine member of the kingdom, before the literal kingdom ever gets around to showing up, and by the way, the literal kingdom will eventually show up. It will, like they're anticipating. But before that ever gets around to happening, you need a new heart. You first need to be a spiritual member of the kingdom before you're a physical member of the kingdom. It's going to show up, but you've got to get the 70th week of Daniel. You've got to get the tribulation period. You've got to get to the place where Israel has been refined to the point where when Jesus arrives, the second coming, they look on him whom they have pierced and they mourn for him as an only son. 
They've got to get to the place spiritually where they're ready for the physical kingdom to finally make its way there. They're not there. They're they're rejecting the prophets. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting everything that Jesus is doing. And and he's looking at them saying, you know, the, the kingdom is in your midst, but you won't repent. You won't have a change of heart so that you can get here. This is how you become a member of the kingdom. You make Jesus your king. Instead of making Jesus their king. And remember when he's crucified, Pilate puts right up there, king of the Jews. They're like, get that off. He's not our king. Okay. You know what I mean? How much more clear could you be? You don't want Jesus to be your king. So the kingdom of God is right in your very midst and you won't have it. Now, after Jesus, same passage, by the way, Luke 17, after, after Jesus says to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He will go right on in his next verse and say to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You know, the, the moment, he's making it clear to them, I'm leaving. And once I'm gone, you're going to greatly desire that I were back. But you won't see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Don't go out and and don't follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be when he comes back. Jesus is like, I'm coming back. The kingdom is going to arrive. But first, verse 25, he must suffer many things. And be rejected by this generation. Before the ruling and reigning king that you want to arrive shows up, the suffering Messiah must suffer. They still don't get it, by the way. A couple of chapters later in, in, in Luke chapter 19, they're headed towards Jerusalem. And it says in 1711, because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear like immediately, any, any second now, the kingdom was, I mean, here we are, we're in Jerusalem, you're the king. I mean, you know, the kingdom's coming. Jesus tells them this parable. It was this nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And he calls his 10 servants and he gives each of them 10 minus and uh, you know the parable. Jesus is like, look, I'm going to go away probably for a long time. I mean, it could happen any moment, but I'm going to go away into heaven. And this kingdom that you're waiting for, not yet. It's, it's not yet. So when we look at this prayer, thy kingdom come. This is not just a prayer for the millennium to arrive. A kingdom is when there's a king, right? I know that goes without thing, but we live in America and we don't have kings. A kingdom is when you have a single person who rules, who reigns, who their word is law. And they understood exactly what that was. And so they were waiting for the king to get here. And Jesus is like, here's what you need to do. Take my words and obey them. You want to make me king? Make me king of your life. You want to enter into the kingdom? Make Jesus king of your life and you will be a member of the kingdom. And by the way, you want to be in the kingdom of light. You don't want to be in the kingdom of darkness. Satan, of course, has set up a counterfeit 
kingdom. This world at this moment is under the sway of the devil. The whole world is deceived. And the major deception, there are many, but a major deception that the devil gives is this idea that don't really worry about tomorrow. Just live for today. You only go around once in life, right? So grab all the gusto you can get, right? I mean, that, that's straight out of the pit of hell, right? That is a completely godless approach to life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. That is not a godly approach to life. A godly approach to life is to think about the 100-year plan. Where are you going to be 100 years from now? Which, by the way, is exactly why this particular pandemic is a marvelous opportunity for us. People are actually terrified they're going to die. Good. You should be. Because you're going to. You may not die from this pandemic, but the fact is, you're going to die. I mean, you know, the sooner you kind of wake up to that, the sooner you're actually ready to hear the gospel. You're ready to hear the message of the good news that there is a place in eternity that God has for you. And that if you will repent and make Jesus king in your life, you too can spend eternity with God. And to just kind of wander through life like, well, I don't care. And I don't want to hear about the gospel. And I don't, I don't care about any of that. You need to care about this. Every once in a while, God kind of brings along events like a pandemic to help people think about my life is at risk. Yes, yes it is. We are, in fact, all going to, one way or the other, get out of this life. One birth, one death. You know what I mean? If you were born, you are going to die, guaranteed. We may not want to talk about that. We may want to act like that isn't true. We may want to ignore that, but... If you're going to be open to hearing the gospel, it's important. And we as believers, that there is a God in heaven, that he reigns, that he rules, and that he is influencing the affairs of nations, um, we need to take the long look, the long perspective. I, I love America. I am glad that I was born in this nation. I am glad that I am a member of this nation. And, and our nation has done many, many great things. We are one of the most kind and, and often benevolent. Uh, if there's tragedy in the world, we send huge amounts of medicine and food and supplies. And we are the most open-hearted, generous people in the history of mankind. It's great. I, I'm glad that we are. But the fact is, though we presently rule the world, as those at least were one of the great leaders of this world, um, you know, there have been lots of nations that have kind of been at the top of the world pyramid. Uh, lots of them. Babylon was at the top of the world pyramid. Egypt was at the top. I mean, greatest nation on earth, the Egyptians. Um, the Persians, which by the way is Iran, they at one time were great world powers. Uh, Rome, you know the Romans, New Testament, Italy over there, I, they, they ruled the known world. Uh, a little more current, the French had ruled the world. The Spaniards have ruled the world. The English have ruled the world. At the moment, we as America have sat on the top of that heap, but you know, it's hard to identify the exact cause by which nations have risen and fallen, but in the long march of history, each of those nations at that moment at which they sat at the top of the heap, they seemed invincible. 
It seemed like this would go forever. No one would ever topple them. And yet, either from within or without, nations lose their way. They lose their will or ability. They are overcome by pride or slothfulness or who knows what, and they fall. We should pray that God will continue to be gracious to us. God will continue to be gracious to our nation. God will continue to give us leaders. And it is biblical to pray for our leaders and to pray that we can lead quiet and peaceable lives. But the fact of the matter is, the ultimate kingdom to which we are members is the kingdom of heaven. We are ultimate citizens of the kingdom of God. And if the moment ever comes where we have to decide whether to follow the kings of the earth or the kingdom of God, that shouldn't be much decision for us. We are here to serve the king of heaven. We are here to declare our ultimate allegiance to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords. And that, yes, we want to support our nation and we want to support what our nation is doing up until our nation no longer supports the kingdom of God and instead starts making decisions that completely defy the law of God and the will of God, and the clear, moral, revealed will of God. At that moment, we have to stand up and say, sorry, you all want to head that way, we're not going. We follow God. We follow Christ. And when the moment comes that we pay a price for that, well, we pay a price for that. But that is what it is to pray this prayer. Thy kingdom come just like our Father. Our Father is a personal prayer that has to do with us. It has to do with our relationship with God. God is our Father. And when we pray that his name be hallowed, we're not praying some out there prayer that someplace somebody will make God's name holy. We're praying that we would make God's name holy. May I hallow your name. May I be a person who shows the holiness of who you are. And when I pray your kingdom come, well, first of all, may it come to me. This is a prayer for me. This is a prayer that I pray for you. This is a prayer that we pray that the kingdom of God would rule and reign in our heart first. May I be subject to the rule of God willingly. May I take this prayer, thy kingdom come, and may it first and foremost be applied to me and my life. I want to be a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. That's who I want to be. I want Jesus to rule and reign over me. Your kingdom come to my life. May I be a good citizen, an obedient citizen, someone who greatly desires God to rule. May I know what God's will is. So that I can do it. And we'll get to that, by the way. It's in the prayer. I will be done. Don't worry. We'll talk about that when we get there. This is what I'm praying when I ask for your kingdom to come. I'm not just generically asking for somewhere way out in the future, someplace out there, that the millennium will eventually arrive. That's implied. But what I'm really praying is that I will be a subject of the kingdom of God. The Gospels and Jesus will make this very clear. Again, not to steal future sermons, but Luke 18. They were bringing infants to him, children to him. And of course, the disciples go to them and go, get those kids away from him. Jesus is an important guy. He's got got important stuff to do. Don't be bringing little kids to him. Jesus, of course, says, no, no. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder 
them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. In fact, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you're not going to get it at all. This is the kingdom of God. Remember the rich young ruler. He showed up and said, what do I have to do to be your disciple? What do I have to do? I want to I be a member of the kingdom. And Jesus says, well, okay, in your case, not everybody's case, but in his case, remember Jesus said, what, what do you got to do? Well, you know, love your neighbor and, and you know, keep the law. He's like, yeah, that's, that's good. So, and, and he says, well, I've done that from my youth. What more do I need to do? And Jesus says, all right, in your case, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and come and follow me. You'll have great reward in heaven. When he heard those things, he's very sad. Because he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that, he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? You need to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier, in fact, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But you need to enter the kingdom of God. This is, this is part of what it is to become a Christian. After the resurrection... In Acts 1, he presented himself alive to them after after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus dies, he resurrects, he spends 40 days with his disciples and, and talking to them about what? The kingdom of God. Why? Because we need to be members of the kingdom of God. We are members of the kingdom of God. You're born again into the kingdom of God. Paul will talk about this a lot, Acts 14. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul goes into the synagogue and he gets up and he preaches for three months, speaking boldly and reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This is, this is how this goes, Acts 28. At the end of the book of Acts, he's in Rome proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness. Jesus is Lord. And I mean, we might kind of miss that Lord reference, but they wouldn't. They knew who a Lord is. They had lords. They were kings. They ruled. Okay, so when we talk about Lord Jesus, kingdom of God, this is all, this is the kingdom of God. Paul will tell the Romans, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Let me just run through three quick things, I think. When we pray, that we might want to think about when we're praying about thy kingdom come. First of all, we acknowledge Jesus as our king. And that's important. Lord, reign in me. Rule over me. We now change kingdoms. We get out of the kingdom of darkness and go into the kingdom of light. Ephesians 2, 19. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we await the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our king. 
When we pray, thy kingdom come, it's you be the king of my life. We look forward to heaven as our eternal home. Ultimately, we want to get into the, to the full kingdom of God, which is going to occur when we get out of here. Jesus will speak to this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Instead, lay your treasures up in heaven where neither moth doesn't corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal because where your treasure is, there will your heart be. So when we want the kingdom of God to come into our lives, it is this change of our focus. For me to live as Christ, to die, is gain. Third thing we want to do is be the salt and the light in this world. We're members of another kingdom. We, we have a citizenship someplace else. And so we go through this world. We're concerned. We're concerned for our nation. We're concerned for our neighbors. We want to see righteousness done. We want to see justice done. We certainly want to, to see goodness done. But ultimately, we realize that those things are going to be ultimately accomplished once this world is over. So we preach the gospel. The hope is not simply that you'll have a good life, although I hope you have a good life. But to have a good life and spend eternity in hell is no exchange. That is not a good exchange. What if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And so we come to the world and we say we are members of another kingdom. Our citizenship is someplace else. We don't lose heart. Our inner man is renewed day by day. We are people who go through this world facing the same trials the world does, same challenges the world does, same hardships the world does. But we have the peace of God in the midst of it that passes all understanding. We understand what's going on in this world. And it's the reign of God. There is a king. He is in charge. There is a plan. It is being carried out. For the moment, sin is given free reign to do whatever it wants. So that when the day of judgment comes, we will be able to see that sin is a really bad idea. We will get to the end of the great white throne judgment and we will have seen all of the effects of sin. Sin will have given every opportunity To somehow thwart the plan and purposes of God, it will not succeed. In fact, everywhere sin is allowed to occur will bring misery and destruction and hardship. It'll just be awful. And then we'll see if we just did what God wanted. Peace and harmony and grace and compassion and forgiveness. Which is why, by the way, those things should characterize us now. We should be the most loving, forgiving, gracious, kind, compassionate people the world has ever seen. Why? Because God has extended it to us as members of his kingdom. So we go forth into the world with this message. Be careful about getting online and and writing angry, condemning things. Be careful about doing that. That should not be the spirit which characterizes us. Engage the world with kindness with compassion, offering the forgiveness of Christ. Love your enemies. That's what it is to pray that the kingdom of God come, to come to our lives and transform us. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you do, in fact, rule in heaven. 
that as our loving Heavenly Father, you, you are gracious to us. May we take that grace and that kindness and that forgiveness and, and that willingness you have to be good to us undeserving sinners and may we share it. May we tell people who you truly are. May we share a message that will draw the world to you. This is our moment, Lord. This is the world we live in. This is the generation we were born in. This is the place and the time. May we be good stewards of it. May we be good servants in your kingdom. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.